It is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Show today, we really appreciate it. And as I said, Merry Christmas to everyone out there who's listening today. We appreciate you listening on a cold morning here in South Florida. Well, cold for us. Yeah, about, yeah. About minus, my, not minus nine where I grew up yesterday. Uh, it's a little colder than here. So, uh, you know, I'm putting on there that I'm cold because it's in the 60s. People are laughing at it. But anyway, that's how it is. We're, we're glad we can be with you hot or cold. And uh, <clears throat> we're glad that you're listening. We Are Just Christians is a call-in show, a live call-in show, which we're going to give you the numbers in just a moment. And it's about spiritual things. It's about going back to the first century and um, following what the New Testament says about how to live both in our private lives and religious lives as far as the church is concerned. It's, a, it's an all-inclusive thing that points us back to Jesus Christ's words and the words of his apostles as a standard of living. Now, of course, that really includes all the Bible, and uh, it includes the idea that we should put the Old Testament in its proper context and understand it and keep it in its proper setting. And we try to do that. And so we talk on this show not only about specific Bible questions you might have or topics, but we also talk about cultural issues as they relate to how we ought to be living as Christians or thinking, giving you a biblical worldview as best we can. We talk about personal things. If you've got something that's troubling you, something has happened in your life or troubles you, yeah, we'll be glad to talk with you. And I would especially, as I've done before, offer that invitation to people that are not believers to talk about the scriptures, the Bible, religious people, the church, whatever you have on your mind, I would especially invite you to um, to do that. We have a caller, but just hang on a second because I want to give the numbers to everybody. The number to reach us here on We Are Just Christians is 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number. And we'll be glad to take your call or comments, questions, whatever, and we'll give you the last word. We're not here to argue with you, even if we disagree. And it's okay to disagree, uh, but uh, we certainly are not here baiting you or just going to argue with you. Hopefully we can have an intelligent discussion about whatever the subject may be. Well, let's, I'll give you some other contact information. Well, let me give you the text numbers while I'm at it. Well, I, I think we should do that. Uh, you can reach us by text. My name is Mike Schmidt. My text number is 772-260-6120, 772 uh, Co-host Gary Jones, is uh, his text number is 772-260-6220. So, ready to go, Gary? I'll say. All right, let's go. Uh, Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. And thank you for taking my call. Uh, I was wondering about the the three wise men. Uh, uh -huh. I assume that there were astronomers from Babylon. Uh, I'm having trouble talking today. Uh, can we assume that there were astronomers and they were from Babylon? And uh, that question also, if you have time. They're called Magi and Messiah. Uh, Magi and Messiah, do they mean the same thing? But I'm also wondering about the three wise men, uh, Mike. I'd like to listen off there if that's okay. That's fine, Jerry, and I appreciate your call, and you sounded great this morning. We appreciate you calling. Well, um, you know, I pulled up some stuff on this earlier in the week, 
talk about. And so it's interesting that you ask about this, uh, the wise men. Now, um, so don't take what I'm saying, going to say, I don't know what Gary's going to say. Don't take what I'm going to say here, any of you, as a criticism or anything like that. I just think that there has been a tremendous amount of misinformation and or uh, almost intentionally leading people astray by leaving information out with regard to the wise men and the whole Christmas story, as we call it, and all that kind of stuff. I just think there's been a lot of misinformation, don't you, Jerry? Yes, yes. Well, no, there was very little attention paid to the scriptures and the detail that's in the scriptures that gives you a much different picture of what the wise men were all about and when they came, where they were, what they, so, so yeah, yes, just, yes, that's, that's right. So in, in any event, uh, what I would, what I want to do is say this, first of all, we don't know how many wise men there were, uh, that the idea that there were three wise men and that we know their names is simply not a biblical idea. And so, uh, that's not said to be um, that's not said in a way to be derogatory to anyone or whatever the case may be. It's just a fact. We simply do not know how many wise men there were. Now, now we do know that the wise men gave gifts, and there were three gifts, types of gifts. Yes, yes. I don't even know that there were three, three gifts. gifts. I know there were three types of gifts that were given. Um, there there was um, gold and frankincense and myrrh given. Now, how, how many of each one or whether each ma- whether that represents three men? You know, we, we simply don't know the answer to that. And I think any kind of biblical scholar that you would go to uh, would agree with that. This is in Matthew chapter two and verse one. Yes. It says now after G- after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, doesn't say how many, behold, wise men from the east, that would be east of Israel or east of Judea, Palestine, came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So Herod uh, was troubled about this, uh, and uh, Jerusalem was troubled. Why are these men here? They didn't know that there was someone coming. And so Matthew says it was it was uh, fulfillment of the prophecy in Micah six and verse five. Uh, uh, Matthew two five <clears throat> says it was a fulfillment of the prophecy that Micah had made centuries before that in Bethlehem of Judea a ruler would come forth to shepherd his people Israel. And so in any event, when they he sent them to Bethlehem, Herod did, and said, go and search carefully for the young child, and when you've found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over that where the young child was. And when they saw, saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, that's what the text says. It doesn't say there were three wise men. Each one had a singular gift. One was carrying gold, 
and his name was Balthazar, and one was carrying frankincense, and his name was whatever the other names. Tradition has given three names to these men, made them three wise men. Tradition has them coming to the manger where Jesus was born. This doesn't say that. In in some cases, even that night, the, the angels. The, were there, yeah, yeah, the it? same night when all the shepherds and angels, right. everybody was there. Here come the wise men. They had to leave a long time before to get there before the birth. Now, there's a good chance, according to what the timing said here in Matthew, that most scholars will tell you that it could have been up to two years later. It was before two years, because after two years, Jesus and J- Joseph fled to Egypt. Because Herod was there. Herod decided he was going to kill all the children. Why do I say two years? Because the text goes on to say that when Herod found out that the wise men didn't come back and see him, he sent out uh, men to kill any children under two years of age yeah. in Bethlehem. Matthew 2.13 says, Now when they, and I assume that's the wise men, departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. In a dream, arise, take your young child and his right. mother and flee to Egypt. So after the wise men had left, um, basically Joseph takes Mary and, and the child and goes to Egypt. He fled because he was a, Now, why did Herod pick two years if the wise men are saying the baby's just been born today? He wouldn't have done that. This is not. So you have a clue. As to how long it was between the time Jesus yeah. was born and the wise men were there, it was not right away, but sometime under two years, right? Yeah. Approximately here. And so Herod uh, thought that this, and, and, and the other clue is that the wise men did not come to the manger, as it were. They came to a house where Mary and Joseph were living. So they had moved into a house. Maybe it was the house that was attached to the manger where or the manger would really be attached to the house. Possible, but it's just as likely it was another place they were staying while Jesus was young and Mary was nursing him. They stayed in with their relatives there in Bethlehem. That's where they had relatives. That's why they went there, because of the census. So this story has been compressed, altered, and I think sometimes twisted because of tradition. This is the thing that Gary and I talk about so often on this show and it's funny because Christmas, as it were, provides a perfect opportunity, as we even saw last week, to talk about the difference between what the text of the Bible says, what we should believe and follow, and what human traditions have erected around various stories and doctrines. And this is a perfect example of that, the fact that there are three wise men depicted in all these manger scenes all over, and they come and they bring their three gifts, and we have given them names. I forgot the names, Gary. I think Balthasar is one of the names that was given. In tradition, many centuries later, this was added. And it's taught in churches today, maybe you heard it as a child yourself, listeners, that, that that's, the, that's the truth of the story. Most people don't even understand. They've never read the text of the New Testament, Gary, to understand the, the differences in this story. And that's the major problem. And that's the problem. I'm, I'm not trying to be critical or derogatory or ridicule. I'm trying to point out that this is a case where you need to be go go back to what the Bible says about it, and you'll have a lot of questions about it. But uh, that that's something. And for example, um, when you look at um, this word, the, uh, Jerry asked a great question, and and it's um, 
what's the difference between magi and messiah? Well, this word magi here, this word uh, wise men in Matthew, the text of Matthew, Matthew chapter two there, is magos in Greek. It's a foreign or not Hebrew origin, uh, a magian, an oriental scientist by implication, a magician or a sorcerer or a wise man. So we get the word magician from this word. Jerry asked if they were, he called them astronomers, I believe. Uh, probably they were in one sense, if they, this word carries the implication that they were at the very least astrologers, might be a more accurate word, but astrologers in ancient times were probably what we would call, what am I trying to say? Astrologers were in ancient times what we would call astronomers. That they studied the sky and the heavens and so forth. And so this is a Babylonian name and also a Median, a Persian name to get this given to, as the Greek dictionary says, to wise men, teachers, priests, physicians, astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams, augurs, soothsayers, and sorcerers, and so forth. And it's applied here to these men. It often had carried the idea in ancient Hebrew of a false prophet or a sorcerer. These were not Jews. They were from another civilization. And they were indeed probably a class of people that we have information of in ancient times uh, who studied the stars. Many of them tried to predict future events. They would have been well aware of this star appearing that was unusual in the sky, and they followed it. Now, this star is... It's certainly more amazing to me than the wise men coming. The wise men come because it is an unusual event. It wasn't people have tried to figure out when was there a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse around the time of Christ. I don't think that's what this was. They've tried to say, well, there was a comet in the sky. So they saw this unusual comet. Well, a comet doesn't do what this star did. Could be God may have used... Here's how I would look at this, Gary. God often used natural phenomena or natural occurrences, altered them in some way to make them be miraculous or completely out of the ordinary, even though it was a natural phenomenon. And he used them for signs and things like that. In this case, it's possibly used a comet or a star to actually be more visible in the sky in an unusual way so that all the way over in Babylonia, several hundred miles away to the east, at some point in time, this star became visible to these three astrologers and other people. And they began to follow it because it was they watched it. It's moving. It's pointing them in a direction. So they said, we need to go find out about this. This is very strange. And so they got some gifts because, you know, and the truth is, there is also a very good chance that these astrologers knew about the prophecy of Micah that was and made to the Hebrew prophets late in the captivity period around that time, that this was pointing to a new king being born, a ruler in Israel. They may have known this prophecy, and they said, we need to go check this out. It's pointing toward, toward over there toward Israel. And so here they come. It may have taken them a year and a half to get there or a year to get there walking. I did find the three names. Oh, yeah. What are they? Uh, Balthasar, Melchior, and Casper. Casper, yeah. 
and and Melchior. M e l c h i o r. Melchior. Yes, that's a probably the word uh, for king. I, I think they were all con- they were considered to be the kings of Ethiopia, Persia, and India. Completely, not in the Bible At whatsoever. All. So if you want to say that's their names, fine. We don't even know if they were three. So they made up the countries, they made up the names in tradition. People now think that this is the Christmas story, and it's all in the Bible, and it's not. Just just try, try to take this advice. It's maybe more strong than advice. Read the text of the scriptures. Believe what it says. Examine its mysteries and anomalies. And keep separate your traditions and your interpretations from what the text says. Uh, and uh, try to live by what the text says rather than what your traditions and your grandparents told you or what some preacher told you or what you make up on your own. Follow what the scriptures say and and don't go beyond the scriptures in what you practice and believe, especially what the church does as a group. But there is a good chance that these men, long before Jesus was born, began to follow this star. It was moving. Stars don't do that, okay, in natural in the natural order of things. Comets don't do that as such. And they certainly don't move until they come to rest over the house where this baby was. They cer- a star can't do that. Stars move across the sky all night, all, all the time, you see. Not only every night are they a little bit different, but over the course of time they move, and they don't move and stay over a house. And so this was obviously a divine sign that was different than just figuring out if it was a comet or a super pa- uh, supernova or, or an eclipse. All, all of these People things. People try to explain away what the Bible is obviously presenting as a miraculous supernatural event. God may be using natural forces, but he's in control of the natural forces that he created, and so he's using it for this purpose. And so this, that's why you see these wise men coming not to the manger, but to the house, and why you see Herod understanding the time period that he may have even learned from these magi that this could have happened as long as two years ago. So he sends his men out to kill the babies of two years old in Bethlehem, and, and he slaughters what was called the slaughter of the innocents uh, and, and so forth, because the wise men were warned by God not to go back and tell Herod about this. So he, he goes away. Anyway, um, now... Forgive me, I was chasing down something else about this that I'm going to just look through some of these, basically some of these traditions and see if they have any bearing on what we have to say. Well, I I think you can, I read some, I read an interesting article. I don't know if I can put my hands on it uh, today, right now. I think I can, but um, there's an article in the uh, Biblical Archaeological Society recently on some of the some of the interpretations of who these people were and the star, and then you can read about that. And if you want to go look under under the uh, Biblical Archaeology Society, you'll see some different scholarly scholarly articles on this subject. And you got to remember to take scholars with a grain of salt too. Every expert has to publish something different; it can't get published, and so they don't always just tell you what it means because it's got to be something. Well, what, one of them. Unique. Uh, one of them cites Numbers twenty four seventeen. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. 
a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall arise out of Israel, and a better and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. It's That's kind of, possibly a messianic prophecy, but what? How can you make anything um, of that? How yeah, you, how can you make anything of that? It's very it's, general. You would so. not know that that was a prophecy until after. You see, Matthew see, tells you this is what happened. Yeah, and so I thought uh, that was interesting. And and uh, I think I do think that Matthew, when he quotes Micah six five, uh, oh no, excuse me, I'm saying that wrong. I said Micah. It, it's Micah five two. Micah five. I said it two. wrong several times. Micah five two is the one where the, where he, he mentions these two places. The the Hebrew rabbis understood that that was the place where the Messiah was going to be born. Did they all believe it when it happened? No. This was the and you go in there, Gary. Yeah. Uh, but Beth- you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Jeru- in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. I uh, I know that on our website, wearejustchristians.com, I'm, I'm, I'm 99% sure, there's a sermon that I preached a couple of years ago, maybe more, on on the, uh, <clears throat> the two Bethlehems in the Bible. The reason that this, this and this is a, really became a big issue in, in Jesus' lifetime as far as whether people believed him or not. The prophet said, and Matthew, the apostle, confirmed it, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem Ephrathah, uh, which is Bethlehem of Judea, it's even called here in, in, the, <clears throat> in Matthew. There, and the reason it is specified like that, and the reason it was an interesting verse, is because there are two Bethlehems in Judea before Christ and at the time of Christ. One was a larger city up in northern Palestine in the tribe of Zebulun called Bethlehem, a larger place, a more well-known place, especially at the time of Micah. And it would have been close near where Jesus grew up. Where Joseph and Mary, where Joseph and Mary were from, living at the time that she conceived, and it was in the northern area. It was in Galilee, but this prophecy says that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem Ephrathah, which is a small little village outside of Jerusalem by six or seven miles, a, a, almost an unknown place to most people at that time. Very small. And so the difference was this, that normally you would think Jesus would have been, Jesus was, did, did grow up. He was Jesus of Nazareth. When the people began to know who he was, he was not someone from Bethlehem of Judea. He, he was, was from someone Nazareth. from Nazareth on the other end of the country, near a bigger village called Bethlehem. And, but this prophecy said that he would be born, that the Messiah would be born Bethlehem of Judea, which was a small village. I always thought that it was unusual. I think Bethlehem Ephrathah, or however you pronounce it, Ephrathah, yeah, um, it means house of bread. Yes, the house of bread. So he is the bread of life. He is the bread of and life. Quite and, a few connections there. That's exactly yeah. right. And this story, and it's, but it's near where Rachel, um, one of the wives of of uh, Jacob or Israel, died. And that's why this, that's why the prophet says that Rachel is weeping for her children when all these children are killed. He quotes the, another prophecy that Rachel is weeping for her children. 
because that's where, who the children were that were killed near where Rachel lived. But in any event, the point I'm making is that this is a, something that God threw out there, put into the mix of things that caused people to um, uh, doubt who Jesus was, okay? To doubt who Jesus was. They doubted who Jesus was because they knew him as Jesus of Nazareth. And that's why even Nathaniel, when um, I think John goes and says to him, we found the Messiah, he says, could any good thing come out of Nazareth? He wasn't expecting the Messiah to come from there. The people, it became a, an issue later in Jesus' life uh, in the book of Matthew that this man can't be the Messiah because they even quote this, that the Messiah is going to be from Judea. But they didn't look close enough. They didn't examine it close enough to know that Jesus was What's born right? in yeah. this city. And the circumstances were unusual because of the census that Caesar had ordered. It was an unusual circumstance. Therefore, they didn't look close enough. God eliminates people who don't pay attention and look close enough. People who don't really want to know get don't. eliminated from the process of salvation. If you don't really want to know, seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. And I apply that to this here. People who, who just dismiss information about God and Jesus with a wave of a hand based on some what they think is a fact that they've heard. They're so smart and don't look closely at it, are going to be fooled by this. And, and so it was set up as a test in this case. And so no one would have expected the Messiah to come from this small village. Another case where God does things opposite of what humans do. But it was that, and it wasn't Jerusalem. The, the Book of Mormon has Jesus being born in Jerusalem. Bethlehem is not Jerusalem. Nobody back then considered it to be Jerusalem. They knew it was a separate place and that there were two of them. And they would have never said that Jesus was born in Jerusalem when they knew he was born in Bethlehem. So the Book of Mormon is simply wrong about this. And, and so just a lot of things like that, Gary, that go on. But the Magi go to this small little village. At first they go to Jerusalem. But then when they hear what the, the prophets of Israel told Herod, they went to Bethlehem. They followed the star went to the, and they found the exact house. Where where uh, where Jesus was staying, not the manger, but the house, not the inn or the dwelling place, but the house. Wow, and the, so, the explanations for this just flabbergast me. They ran range from come at the star. Yeah, it's just it's. I'm not even going to bother to go through. Well, that. yes, I say, and I, every time every year that goes by that somebody will write another article and it'll be something else, and and so you've got all these explanations. The truth is that none of them really fit the bill. And I, I think you'll find a few honest scholars will say, here's a few possibilities. None of these really fit the words of Matthew. Now you have two choices then, Gary, always the same two choices. You can believe the text of the Bible and understand in the context which is written, or you can just dismiss it, make up, or you, I have three choices, really. You can dismiss it all as just a legend, or you can just make up the one that you like and Make a tradition and a holiday around it. <laughs> you can do whatever you'd like, you know, put stars on your tree, on top of trees because of this star, which well, we if, don't if, know what it was. I don't think it was an eclipse. I don't think it was a comet. I don't think it was any of those things. It, well, here, here I go back to this, Mike, and, and basically 
the Bible asks us to believe some things that basically uh, we our experiences would refuse. Our experiences today. The Bible asks us to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, yet we have witnesses in the Bible that tell us that. Uh, the Bible would ask us to believe that Lazarus died and also was raised from the dead. And yet again, we have witnesses in the Bible that tell us that. So now the Bible is telling us something else. If those things are true and the witnesses are correct, now we're having another witness tell us here is a unique event. Why do we not believe that as well? Exactly. I, I'm just, it just. Exactly. Now, now the other thing is these, these men, these astrologers, magi, wise men, whatever you want to call them, they they were people that studied the heavens. You and I don't do that, Gary. We can't even see most of the stars because we're living near the city. Modern people don't stare at them very much. Only a tiny few do people do. But back then, people paid attention to these things. And especially someone like in this position of being an astronomer or astrologer would do this. And what they saw, they knew what stars were, but what they saw in the sky was unique. Was unique to them. And it was so unique. They, they decided it. it was something they were going to follow. So they had done some research, probably read uh, somebody to the west of them, some of the prophecies, what they had said, and they found this verse in Micah or somewhere else uh, in the prophets. And so they they got some gifts together and they came over to find it. We don't have many there were. And they came over to find what was going out, what was going on. And they didn't do it negatively. They did it positively. As th This is part of the evidence that Jesus would be the Savior of all the nations. This is pointing in that direction, direction, that God gave this sign of the birth of Jesus Christ, not to a few Jewish shepherds on a hillside, but to complete foreigners partially way around the world. He gave them a sign that they should pay attention to this child. And so they came and gave gifts to this child. So... If you want to go and preach a sermon about it, you look at all of the, and we got another call we got to get to, but they, you, you go and you look at what these gifts mean in a broader sense. There's even discussion about what the gifts mean. I love the headline in the uh, another article in Biblical Archaeology Review recently. It was the new one, Gary. Were, did the wise men bring gifts or did they bring medicine? Now, that's a false dichotomy if I've ever heard one, because... The frankincense and the myrrh could Word. be gi a gift as well as medicine. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Well, all three of them were quite valuable. Yes, yeah. and I'll tell you this. Here's what I believe, going back to your point. The Bible calls them gifts, and so guess what they were? They were gifts. They were gifts. Were they medicine? Possibly. They were also perfumes. They were also valuable. They also had probably meaning to these men as to what they symbolized. And yes, we can we can speculate about what they symbolize. Whatever we say about what these gifts mean, though, is speculation on our part. Not wrong to do it, per se, wrong to bind it. But I say they were gifts because guess what? The, Bible the says scripture it. says they were gifts, and so that's fine with me. Is that too simplistic? Well, listen, we can come back to this because we haven't even well, answered one, one more question. comment. One more All comment. Right, go ahead. If they saw Micah 2.5 and understood that, five, two. or 5.2, sorry, sorry, I'm uh, dyslectic today. Yeah. But basically, if they saw that and understood that to be important, now they're looking at something that is so unusual that their best description of it is a star, and maybe it's not the classic star. 
I see, don't see it why it would be unreasonable to think that they also saw numbers 24, 17. Yes. Yeah. They had access to the Hebrew scriptures. Yes. Especially since the Hebrews have been captive. captive and and now they're looking at something and they're thinking this, you know, best I can describe that as a star, but it really doesn't look like a star that I know of. Something very different from what they were used to. Something very different. Now this numbers 24, 17 is pointing again. What? To a leader coming, something right. behold is near. Right, They're something's coming. So, so they wanted to, they wanted to go find out about this. Now the other thing he asked, and then we're going to go and talk, get to the phone here. So hang on, Ken, you're, we're going to get right to you. He, Jerry asked about the word magi and the word messiah. Were they the same? The answer there is no. They're not the same. Magi referring to these wise men or these astrologers that came, used very, very sparingly in the Bible, as far as I could tell. One of them said one. One source I had said magician of sorts. Exactly. It, it's used that word or the main word is used like seven times in the Bible. Yeah. And then, but the word Messiah is a Hebrew word, not an not an, a Persian word, a Hebrew word which means appointed, anointed, or a chosen or appointed, and it's a specific reference to uh, most of the time it's used to the Messiah that God prophesied would come to save men in the Old Testament, and then applied to Christ. The word Christos in Greek and the word Messiah in Hebrew, Messiah and Christ, brought into English, are the same meaning. They're they're different words, one language and one another language, but they mean the same thing. They mean anointed or chosen one. And so Christ was called the Messiah. Well, excuse me, I said that wrong. I didn't say what I meant. Jesus was called the Messiah or Jesus was called the Christ. Christ is not his last name. He's not Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, and then had a baby named Jesus Christ. This <laughs> is his title. A lot of people think that, Gary. I'm, I'm, you think I'm making fun of people. I'm not. I've had people ask me that very question. In fact, I knew a guy named Christ uh, in college, and he would people would make fun of him that way. But in any event, <clears throat> this is a title or a Messiah. So it's something different than Magi. Uh, I don't know where else Gary, Jerry might have had some other comments. Actually, actually I kind of have a little problem with the way we say it, Jesus Christ. It, it, the, the title implies that Jesus, we would say Jesus the Christ. Well, that's the way it probably should be. That's the way that it should that's be translated. It should be translated. Jesus the Christ. That, but sometimes it's Christ Jesus in the New Testament. Yeah, yes. Paul, more often than not, Paul calls him Christ, Christ Jesus, Jesus. Or Messiah Jesus. And, and what he's saying, the anointed one, Jesus. Right. That's exactly what he's saying. All right. We sh- if you're still there, Ken, we'll, we'll talk to you. We'll maybe come back to this. What do you have any, uh, What's on your mind? Yeah. Hi. First thing I want to uh, do is wish you and Gary uh, a Merry Jesus Conception Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what you're getting at. I think, yes. Uh, right. Uh, uh, I'd, I'd already made some comments to Mike uh, about that this morning. I was so surprised that there seemed to be so much interest in that. All right, Ken, I'll let you explain yourself, and I might have a few comments about this. Okay, so I'm going to be brief on this, but then I want to address the three wise men thing. Okay. Uh, um, First of all, Hanukkah is a delayed celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. Correct. Feast of Tabernacles is September, mid-September in our calendar. 23rd, uh, 22nd, 22nd. 22nd, yes. And it was also 
but it was pushed back in the in that year in the time of the Maccabees between the Testaments because of a war. And then they tried to dedicate the temple later in what's now December in our timing. And that's why it's Hanukkah. Right. Which is a feast of dedication was pushed so back into December. Back hmm? From September. And I, I believe Jesus was conceived on the first day of Easter Tabernacle. It's an eight day feast. Where would Jesus be on the eighth day after his birth? He would be being circumcised in the temple, right? Yes. Yeah, he'd be circumcised in the temple, correct. Okay, so uh, nine months prior to September is the end of December. Right, right. Yes, and that, and I, in fact, I'm going to talk about that this morning in my lesson, uh, unfortunately for people that don't want to hear about this. But <laughs> I think that that's, I think that that is, from the standpoint of what the Bible does say about these events, that's probably about as good as we can do about when Jesus was born, in my opinion. That's the point I'm going to make. The, um, the idea of December 25th is when Jesus was born is, has no biblical foundation at all, zero. I don't think you can find a scholar anywhere who will say that. You will find some traditions that say that he was born, he was conceived, and he was crucified on the same day. That's what some of the later Christians believed, because that followed some Jewish thinking about birth and death. So they would say he was conceived in like March 15th and was killed on 20 or 25th and was killed on December 25th. I'm uh, I got it all wrong. That we'll go back and start over. That he was conceived on March 25th and was born on December 25th. Um, That's what they would say. But there's nothing in the Bible at all about about anything like that, huh? I didn't see anything in Scripture that you could connect to that. And you can't. You can can just say that, well, that makes sense that that's what the prophets, that's what some of the Hebrew prophets believed. But I don't see that in the text of Scripture. Some of the Hebrew rabbis believe something along that line about the Messiah. But I think Ken's on to the right, correct track here that uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, all these feasts that Christians ignore, all have specific have co- fulfillments specific. in the life of the Messiah and in, the, in, in Christ's life. And so the Feast of Passover is when he was put to death because he's the Passover lamb. And then and the Feast of Tabernacles and Pentecost, also, which are related to each other, is close in time, are harvest festivals and so forth. Yeah, that's one of the – I'm going to – Well, hang on one second. Uh, what I'm going to make is John okay. says that Jesus came and dwelt Ta- among us or tabernacled, tabernacled among, among us. us in Hebrew. And that's that, – that, that leads me to a comment that just in general, and I'm going to chase a rabbit here for just a second. In general, the Old Testament – gives us specific circumstances and specific things. In other words, there is a well-described feast day. When you look into the law about how they should handle civil civil things and criminal things, they're very specific in the law about what those things are. And it seems to me that 
in the Old Testament, we were to take the specific and to understand the principle from that. Yet when we get to the New Testament, the New Testament doesn't deal in specifics, but deals in principles, and then we have to apply those principles to our specific encounters in life. And it's it's unique in that way. That's just something that I've observed over several years, Mike, that it, it seems to work that way. So when we look at the specifics of those feasts and the specifics of some of those examples, we need to be thinking, well, what's the principle behind this? And we see that in Christ. Right. Right. That, that's 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 exactly right. Now, Ken, you probably have more to say about this. I want to come back to it, but I'll if uh, I want you to get I cut you off there. Go ahead. OK, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think you said you mentioned John mentioned first John 14. Yes. Would. The word shall become flesh and dwell among us. Yes. Yeah. That, well, that's, that's the word tabernacle. Is oh, the tabernacle. Yes. And that's and so I, it fits. I think it's clear verse in the New Testament that indicates it's tabernacle. Right. So it's it's a it's a it's a slight it's, it's, illusion, I think, to that. Um, I'm going to give you this to think about um, the scripture. And see if you, I think maybe this is where they got the idea of the three wise men. Okay. Uh, it's Zechariah 6. Uh, oh, you probably read down 9 through 14. And uh, I'm going to have to leave now, so I'll okay I'll be on the radio. Okay. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate you calling in very much. What was that reference again, Mike? I, I believe he said Zach, Zechariah 6. Uh, that can't be right. Yeah, Zechariah six. Nine oh, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the wrong book. Yes, okay, because I looked at, I slid over to Zephaniah. All right, so Zechariah six nine. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, "Receive the gift from the captives, from Heldai, Tobijah, Jediah, who have come from Babylon, and go to the same day and enter the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Takes the silver and gold, make an elaborate crown." And says on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozak, the high priest. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory, and he shall rule on his throne, and sit and rule on his throne. For he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. In the elaborate the elaborate crown shall be for a memorial in the temple of the Lord for Helam, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. And now, here, here's a beautiful example of the Old Testament giving him very specific instructions that relate to principles that we see eliminated in the New Testament. Right. But you would not know how this was going to come to pass until it actually came happen. to pass. Look back and see but the those, language. Those line. principles are there. You just got to see the whole now, thing. This is a messianic passage, and I think Ken is probably, I'll be probably on the phone, referring to that they were told to take silver and gold and make an elaborate crown and put it on the head of this one who would build, you know, in the temple and there was the branch. All these are references to Jesus as the Messiah. Right. And so forth. Now, uh, so here are the three, the three captives, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah. Who've come from Babylon, 
that I think that's probably what it's referring to. Yeah. The three men that come from Babylon. Of course, now then it gives them four. Later on, it refers to four. <clears throat> we don't let those little things get in the way of our <laughs> beautiful analogies, do we? But in uh, it, because it mentions four down there, with, including Hen, the son of Zephaniah, and so forth. Anyway, down in verse 14. But uh, don't let little things like that get in the way of your um, teaching. But, but, huh? Anyway, uh, I think that's what the reference is. Are you still there, Ken? Yeah, I am, Mike. Okay, uh, I thought you were leaving. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> talking about the branch here. Uh-huh. Talking about Jesus as pre-fanned king. Well, uh, yes, that's exactly right. This is a wonderful passage. Right. This the, branch is the branch. Yeah, the branch is used yeah. again somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. Joshua is the name, same name as Yeshua. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Joshua took the people into the promised land. Yeah, the the the, the uh, meanings and the prophecies here are really powerful in this passage because he's a man who's the branch, and this is the branch that was where the tree of the house of David was cut off, and then it was the branch would come out of that, out of the root of Jesse. Um, in Isaiah, I believe it is. Uh, I have to look that up. And then then you see that Jesus, that's a prophecy of the Messiah. He comes to the temple. He is Joshua, who is which means Jehovah saves, which is the name that God gave to Jesus. And so you have all of these different analogies. He's a prophet. I mean, a priest and a king. No, no king in Israel could be a priest, and no priest could be a king in Israel. So this is obviously talking You're about right. somebody different than the normal kings. And, and it's also of the implication of the change in the law that was going yeah. to occur. And that's what Hebrews 7 says. A law was going to be changed for this to become true. So, and yes. here's again in Jeremiah 23 and 5. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will... Raised to David a branch of righteousness. Which passage is that? Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah. 5. There's he two says, a, ki- a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Uh, it's just, uh, if when once you get onto these ideas and start following these unique little words, you, you come up with a lot of things. And, and boy, Mike, does it really do damage to this premillennial yes, idea. Yes, it does. And, and you, find, you also find this in the, several times in the book of Isaiah, notably yes. in chapter 11, but uh, this idea of the branch. But that, that's, this is a great prophecy that I did not connect up. I've heard about it before now that you've read it to me, Ken, but I wasn't thinking about this at all in this situation. But, um, that's pretty hard to say, well, this is where we get, this is that the Bible is saying that there are going to be three wise men um, if you say this is where they got that idea, maybe so. My opinion, you're giving them too much credit, but but maybe so. But they didn't even give them the same names, you know. Yeah, if you were going to take it from that, you'd think they you'd would think give them the would, names. But uh, I just have I'm going to have to look into that a little bit more. I don't want to overreact negatively to it, uh, but that I can. I it's interesting because I would not have connected that up to this. The Zechariah 9. I made a note of it here. I'll take a look at it. The the other thing about this business, about the when Jesus was born, because I don't believe that there's hardly, well, I just, 
I'm going to go with the consensus of most commentators and scholars down through time. There just is hardly any or no biblical foundation for December 25th. Well, even it's just if, not there. Even if you take the clues that are in the New Testament relative to John's birth, you still have to go to a secular uh, source to find basically how they're relating John's birth. Well, I know, and, and, that, and that's a that that's what I to me the best. The best estimate of Jesus' birth from the Bible is different, and you still, but you still have to jump outside the Bible. You still have to jump outside the Bible. The best we can do, and that would be that um, when John the Baptist, when the when the angel came to Zechariah in Luke one, who was John the Baptist's father, the scriptures there say that Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, was a priest in the order of Abijah one of the sons of Aaron. And if you look at 1 Chronicles 24, 9, they had divided these priests up into, into 24 courses, I think it is. And he was serving in the temple. Most priests only served in the temple one time in their life for a week or two or a month or two. There were so many different people of the right tribes that by the time of Jesus in particular, each course was serving for a month in the temple. If I'm not mistaken, it could be longer, but I think it's about a month. And then they would rotate out. And it would be very time. critical that they could be, trace their lineage all the way yeah, back. Right. It would be extremely critical. And from the from the from the from the, the first Chronicles twenty four nine, this course of Abijah was like number ten in this order. Um, and you find there that from what you read in Josephus, who was a Jewish historian at the time of Christ, he tells you that the course of Abijah was in the temple you know, a certain period of time, and I believe that would have been sometime in the spring, that's when they would have been serving their course. And so that's when this angel came uh, to, uh, that's when this angel came to speak to Zachariah. Now we learn later, the angel tells Joseph that Well, that, that, I'd like to, one, one clearance I'd like. Okay. Really what that date of that course does is fixed the birth of John at around March 15th. Yes, I, I think I did. I said, okay. I said that wrong. I, mean, yeah. I can see he was, John was born around March 15th. Jesus was then born around September the 15th. Right. So we know that there's a six month difference according to scripture. John the Baptist was six months, according to the angel, John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. That would have put Jesus' birth in September, the middle of September, which coincides, as Ken said, with the, the Feast tab- of Tabernacles. Tabernacles, okay, it would have mean that his uh, his conception would have been, ironically, <laughs> his conception would have been in mid December. And this is what I was to Christmas. This okay? is what I was going to tell you this morning, Mike. If okay, it God has a sense he, of humor. He does. It's almost like a it's almost like a joke. Yes, that that we got his birth in, in December, and we have with no with no biblical information whatsoever. They've come up with the December 25th birth, which is why we don't celebrate here at this church as the birthday of Christ. That's one of the reasons, because we have no biblical information that it is. But actually, that was probably the day he was conceived, or the time, the time of the year he was conceived, because he was born in September from what the, from the best evidence that we have in Scripture. This is the best we have. And it corresponds. The other thing that confirms it to me, Gary, is that it does correspond with the Feast of Tabernacles, which is God dwelling or tabernacling with his people. It yes. corresponds with that feast, which it makes, makes perfect sense prophetically and theologically. But okay. there is no 
specific observation of that in the scripture. Well, well now that yeah, when now you go the next step yep. is yeah, even if you can say Jesus was born in September, why don't we move Christmas to September? Well, I, I'm not for that because the Bible does not tell us what to do about the birth of Christ. Gives us no instruction whatsoever. There isn't even a hint of any instruction about well, as, as what far the as church I, ought to do about the birth of Christ. The, what the church ought to do. What he, the instructions we have is Christians should simply rejoice that he was born. Well, yes, but we rejoice yes. also that he died. We rejoice yes. that he was raised. Exactly. So we have no specific instructions for any kind of worship. We have no instruction to make it a holy day. Now, we have other events in the Old Testament when things happen. Then he says, this shall be a holy, holy day, day to, to you. you. Like when the, when, the, when the Jews are taken out, out of Egypt, this shall be a holy perpetual day for you. So we have days, that, things that happen historically, and then in the Bible, then God sets a holiday or a specific day and tells them what to do on that day. With Christmas, so-called, we have nothing of the sort. And so we, th- out of a conscientious respect for the word of God, not to go beyond the things that are written and to, and to keep his word, we don't celebrate Christmas here as the birthday of Christ. In the we church. believe in the birthday of Christ. We just don't celebrate it as a church, and we do not keep it as a religious holiday. If some of our individual members want to do things for Christmas, uh, that's up to them. The Bible says one man treats one day one day and one another differently. We're okay with that here because I think that's what the Scriptures teach. But for someone to say this is a holy day and we have three wise men coming to the manger uh, along with the shepherds and all this stuff, that is simply not teaching what the Bible says. I would but, be remiss. I would be negligent of my duty as a gospel preacher or as an elder, and Gary would too, to promote that in this church because the Bible doesn't teach that. And But the worst thing, Mike, is for us to teach in this church that on this day we're going to, in the church, set up a Christmas tree, exchange gifts, and this is Jesus's birthday, and the church is telling you to celebrate it this way. That is just wrong. Yes, it is, and it's just, it's wrong. It's not it's not biblical teaching. It's an error. It's an adding to the word of God, which is and keeping traditions of men, which the Bible specifically condemned. Jesus specifically. So when that. we say that we do not in this church celebrate Christmas, that's what we mean. That in this church we do not teach that you must celebrate it this or that way. It even the, that the, or that the or, Bible even Or that the Bible it. even implies that we no. should. Now, on the other hand, do we believe and talk about the birth of Christ all the time? Yes. And and, and the, the the thing that we do, here's the difference. Here's the, po- oh, you're just negative. No, I'm not. that's not true. I, I believe in being against what the Bible does not teach. But secondly, we do keep what Jesus said to do. When it came to, even while he was alive, he prefigured what he was going to do later and told the disciples at what we commonly call the Last Supper, when he took the bread and he took the fruit of the vine, he said, this do in remembrance of me. And it became through the teaching, uh, through his teaching, and later was emphasized by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, that became the remembrance. God did take, God did take a specific historical event in the life of Christ. There is one. There is an event in the life of Christ which God said to set up as a memorial, and it's not his birth. It's his death. 
And so we take the what the Bible says we should keep about the life of Jesus Christ as a memorial, and we keep it a memorial every first day of the week, which is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. The scriptures say in Acts in 1 Corinthians 11, we take this in Acts 20 and 7, take this supper on the first day of the week, just like Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. So it's not and, a matter it, of it, being it, against Christmas. It's a matter of doing what God says and what only what he says. And it's not just a matter of his death. It's a matter of what his death accomplished. What does he say about the blood? It is the blood of the new covenant. It right. looks forward to basically everything that he did. And I see that in his resurrection as well. We, well, it, he says in, that we'll, we're to observe this till he comes. comes. Well, as I mentioned, I said it's even last Sunday. If he isn't risen from the dead, he's not coming back. Okay, he's right. dead. And so he's coming back because he was raised. So when we keep the supper every Sunday, we're doing it in re in recognition of his atoning death, that he paid the price for our sins and uh, redeemed us, and that he's coming to completely save us with the resurrection. So that's what we're remembering and what we keep. So every fourth day of the week, we keep the Lord's Supper because Christ said to do that. There are there are simply historians, historians who are unanimous on this. It doesn't matter what Christian denomination that you're from. The apostles and the early church did not keep any yearly festivals at all. They kept no yearly festivals. And yet there are six or five or six or at least four plus Hanukkah later that came from Old Testament times. There's none in the New Testament. And historians will tell you that. But then they'll also tell you how these festivals developed over the centuries later when men began to add their traditions to them. I just want to make one. We've got a couple minutes left. Well, so here, I, want to, I want to give you a reference. I want everybody out there who's listening, please, I beg you, go read this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 through about verse 25. Yeah, because if there's no resurrection, there's no we're hopeless. There's no Christianity. Is that the Actually, at least verse 12 through verse 19 at yeah. the minimum. Yeah. Uh, really, just read 1 Corinthians 15. Yes. But, but you're right. And, and he's telling you there that rather than the birth of Christ being the signal holiday, it's the resurrection that is yes. the single day. And, and uh, his death and, and the death and resurrection in the Bible are kind of treated as, as one event. They are different. But many places, they're really picturing what they're picturing the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yes. And then the ascension. Those four things, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, is called the gospel in form. And, and of course, the birth is important. It's the incarnation. Without that, you can't have the rest. But it isn't even put in this passage about what the gospel is. So we keep it. We remember it. It's important that we believe in the virgin. And the thing is, a lot of people that keep Christmas, Gary, is ironic. They don't believe in the virgin birth. Well, we got to stop. Our time is or, here. Or even the resurrection. They don't believe in the virgin birth or the resurrection. They'll criticize us because we don't keep Christmas as a December 25th as a holiday, and we preach adamantly about both of the things that are so essential. All right, our time is gone today. We really appreciate you listening to the show. Hope it's been interesting to you, uh, and hope there's been <laughs> some benefit. We urge you to go and. Look at those scriptures that we talked about. Take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. And we'd like to invite you to join us at our services this morning at 10, 11, and then 7.30 on Wednesday night. 
at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. And so until next week, we thank you very much for listening and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie.